Let me read to you First Samuel 14, 1 through 14. Now the day came that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young, ma- young man who is carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag or cliff on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Gibbah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have been hidden, where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. Some translations say, Come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up. After me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as as you remind, as I remind you, as we move through First Samuel, First uh, Samuel, the author of First Samuel, he likes comparisons. He likes contrast, and in this chapter, we're going to see a comparison between King Saul and Prince Jonathan, his son. We we could go back to the very beginning, and we we would see Peninnah, and we would see her pitted against Hannah, and we could go through and make all these comparisons and these contrasts. But here in this chapter, it's King Saul and Prince Jonathan. Saul is to be is the king of Israel, and God has provided King Saul with a prophet named Samuel. And we said this morning to teach him the law, to teach him the sacrifices, to teach him how to walk with God, to teach him to wait for the sacrifice, like in last chapter. He is he's been given all these wonderful blessings and benefits. But Saul is hard soil. Did you hear what I said? Saul is hard soil. 
He's had all the benefits. He's had the word of God and the birds are coming and they're taking away the seed that's been sown on his hard heart. Satan is taking it away. It never took root. Saul is not a man after God's own heart and he's sitting under a pomegranate tree and he's doing nothing. He's doing nothing. He's afraid. He'll be king for a while, but not king. His kingdom will not endure because in the past chapter he disobeyed the word of the Lord. And now he sits under a pomegranate tree. He separated himself from the prophet Samuel. like separating. It's like taking your Bible and throwing it in the garbage for him not to be close to Samuel. In verse 3, Saul has attached himself to a priest. And we might think to ourselves, this is great. (laughs) Hey, he's attached himself to a priest. But did you notice who the priest is related to? Let me just look look at verse 3 there. And Ahijah, oh hey, hey, this is a priest, the son of Ahitub. Ichabod's brother, oh, it's getting what bad. This is Ichabod's brother. Who's Ichabod's father? He's the son of Phinehas. So we see Ahijah is Ichabod's brother, and their daddy is Phinehas, and their Phinehas and Hophni, remember who their daddy was? Eli. Eli did not discipline Hophni and Phinehas. Their sins of idolatry and immorality were not stopped by their father. And God sent a prophet to Eli and told him, he said, your seed is, go- is under a curse and your line, your family line, your priesthood will be terminated. Pretty hard stuff. So even though we might think at first this is a good thing, we have a priest that King Saul has uh, attached himself to that is rejected as well. So we have two men who are rejected by God, sitting under a pomegranate tree, and they're not doing anything. So the question is, is there any good soil around? And I want you to consider Jonathan is good soil. This is not what Samuel intended. Samuel has given himself to Saul. Samuel has invested himself in Saul. Samuel has talked to Saul and loved Saul and prayed for Saul and done all these things for Saul. And it's hard. he's hard. But there was a little boy around. There was good soil around. And I want you to th- imagine with me that this little boy, while daddy's being taught, he's not getting it, but the son is. The son is good soil. There's a lively faith brewing up in this young man. And the word that's not taking root in one is taking root in the son. We never hear about Jonathan sitting with Samuel. But he had to be there. Where does this faith come from? Because he's about to exercise a faith that's so daring and so wonderful. And we already saw in the past chapter that he was a leader of a thousand men. Where how did that come about? Well, we're, we're finding out that this young man, this young man is going to do something daring for God because he has a lively faith. The word is taking root. Sometimes we're so easily discouraged. We think, that all our labor is in vain. In, in uh, South Carolina, I spent, I remember, my wife remembers, I spent 32 weeks with a young man in the 11th grade. 
every evening after church, everybody left. I closed the door. I was in the library with this one young man. I prayed with this young man. I read R.C. Sproul books with this young man. I spent time with this young man, doing things with this young man. And after the 32nd week, he left, never came back. And I thought to myself, man, this is, that's, a, that's a whole lot of time with somebody. Now, I spent much longer with that, but this is just one I remember with other people. It didn't do any good, it seemed like. All that time, all that effort, all for nothing. And a few years ago, that whole, the group of, of people, that all, all those kiddos, that they're now in their 40s. <laughs> uh, they, they sent Lori some messages. And they told Lori that all of them were still doing the things I taught them when I was 31. He didn't get it. But those guys got it. And they all have families. And they all have kiddos. And they're all growing. And they're all godly young people. But I'd focused on this one. Sometimes we get discouraged. But we need to remember somebody's listening. And somebody, sometimes it's not the person we intend to get it. But somebody around's listening. Sometimes when parents disregard the word of God, sometimes when parents are happy with a form of godliness and they're really not concerned about true heart godliness, the kiddos around are listening. The kiddos are paying attention. In fact, more, the more the parents walk away from God, the, the closer the kids go to God. Sometimes young people hear about the things, the same things that Jonathan heard, and they say, you know, there is an invisible God before whom I stand. And there is a God who I need to be right with, and I need to have a Savior because I have a serious problem called sin, and I need Jesus Christ to save me. And I'll put my faith, I'll put my trust in Him, I'll trust in His sacrifice. I will have Him, I will love Him, I will pray. Even if my friends and my family sit underneath a pomegranate tree, I will move towards Jesus Christ. So tonight, I want you to think about Jonathan's faith. There's absolutely no reason for this man to have any faith. This is a terrible situation that's painted in this, this passage, and I hope I can help you to see what's going on here. These two men are sitting under a pomegranate tree with 598 other men. And so now Jonathan number three and number four with his armor bearer are thinking about what are we going to do here? It's a geographical advantage that the Philistines have. They are separated. The Jews, the, the, the Israelites are separated from this Philistine garrison by this thing called Sinna. Uh, Sinna is old thorny on this side. And then there's a wadi. A wadi is a stream. You got to cross the stream. Then you got to go up Bozes, Bozes is old slippery. And the reason they call it old slippery is because it's just sheer rock. And if you're going to get up, it, you have to climb up it on your hands and your feet. And so in the sun, it's just shining. So this is what separates them. They're over here. The Philistines are over there. How are we going to get through there? Because this is a geographical advantage. The only way to, to win against the Philistines is to take this garrison. It looks totally impassable. And so they are... In this particular situation, there's no reason for any positive thinking here. And out of, out of nowhere, here comes this statement in verse 1. Jonathan says, Come, armor bearer, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. 
This is not stopping him from thinking about something to do. He's not afraid to consider this. I mean, the commentators say this situation that I painted with old thorny over here and old slippery over here and the, the creek in between, it's just like Goliath standing here and saying, get through me and you can win. That's what they're up against. They're up against the ten, tenth, uh, ten-footer. Get through me and you can win. So they got this geographical advantage. They have a numerical advantage. Remember, they have all the best weapons that, that, that uh, men could make back in those days, and these guys on our side have plows. But he still comes alive with this activity, this faith in his heart. Come and let us. Let us cross over to the other side. And he didn't tell his father. Well, why didn't he tell his father? Because his father would have taken a bucket of water and poured it on top of his plan. <laughs> Let me ask you guys. Listen, are you paralyzed? Are you sitting under a, par a pomegranate tree? Are you? Are you in fear? Has God birthed in you this desire to do something? And you just think to yourself, how in the world can this ever happen? What are you supposed to do with this thing that's being kindled inside of you? Uh, well, you flan it into flame. Don't stifle it. Don't say, oh, I don't know whether this can happen or not. This is what the psalmist says. Psalm 18, 29. With your help, O Lord, I can advance against a troop. That's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says again, with my God, I can scale a wall. I can go up old slippery. With God, I can. Faith arises, Dale Davis says, in such a situation because it looks not to the circumstances, but faith looks to God. It sees past the impossible. It sees its ability to go through this whole situation, and it moves forward. So this faith is it's marked by activity. And Jonathan's faith is also convinced of the Lord's covenantal love. Notice verse 6. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. He calls the Philistines the uncircumcised. Those are the ones who don't have the promise of God. Those are the ones who don't have the sign and seal of the covenant, which is circumcision. But we have the promise of God. And we have the sign and seal of the covenant. And we have God on our side, if you will. And I am going to claim, this God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you know what Jonathan said? I'm going to put my faith and trust in these promises and the seal that is in my body. And so he trusts, he has this, he's convinced of God's love for him. And the, another thing about his faith is he's contemplating the Lord's power. Notice what he says. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not constrained to save by many or by few. He's not going to stay under that tree. Those 598 guys can stay under that tree and not move, but he's, he's going to move. So he contemplates God's love. He contemplates God's power. God is not just going to work by the many. Think about Shamgar. Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat. Then you have Gideon who takes 300 men and he routs the Midianites. Then you have Samson who wreaked havoc on the Philistines, killing more when he died than when he lived. 
3,000 when he pressed the pillars out. Perhaps the Lord will write a new chapter, Jonathan is thinking, in the life of, his, of, of Israel. Perhaps the Lord will give us a great victory. If I die, I die. But if I don't even try, I'll never know. If God acts in behalf of the two of us, what a rescue. If God acts in, the, in behalf of the two of us, the enemy's gone, fear is gone, degradation, destruction, all of this is gone. The land is filled with joy. You know, God loves to work for us in the ninth inning. When there's, what is, what is it, man? I tell you what, guys, I'm so far, you know, Thomas made fun of me. He says, man, where are you? I didn't know who was in the World Series. He said, where have you been? been you've been hiding under a rock? <laughs> but what is it? What is it? You're two outs in the ninth inning. You're at the bottom of the ninth. You got three, two strikes. You got three, uh, you know, two strikes and four, three balls. <laughs> three balls and two strikes. Okay, I mean, I just haven't thought about it in so long. I'm just not there. But you know the bottom of the ninth, and you're there. Everything seems to be against you. The children of Israel are up against the Red Sea. It's the bottom of the ninth. God smacks a home run. He brings the people through the Red Sea, and He brings the waters down with His mighty arm on Pharaoh and his army. David is a runt. David's a lovely, red-headed runt of the pack. He's number eight. And God uses David as he goes out and sees Goliath taunting Israel, taunting God. Takes, he takes a smooth stone and places it in a sling and drives a stone into Goliath's uh, forehead. Jesus was in a tomb. Rome sealed the tomb. Rome sealed the tomb with their own guards. And God caused an earthquake to roll the stone away so that everybody could see that there's nobody in the tomb. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Death was defeated. In both testaments, God is not restrained to save by the many or by the few. I don't know, maybe you're in the bottom of the ninth, maybe you think that. You need to look up. There's, there are insurmountable things. Today I was telling one of the girls, I said, there are uh, lemons in the world we're going through hard times but how do we make lemonade how do we do it i tell this to my kids almost every they probably get sick of it but we need to make lemonade we constantly need to make lemonade don't we because we have lemons we go through difficult times i'm not saying that they're not real how in the world is this going to work out well perhaps as as we think about the power of god perhaps god will work for us look to him well number four so we have this active faith. We have this faith that's convinced in the covenant love of God and thinks about the mighty power of God. But we also have this humble uncertainty. What word does he choose to use? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Who knows? It may just be that the Lord will work for us. This is humility. What's he saying here? Well, Jonathan is confessing that the Lord has the power to save, but he's also confessing that the Lord is free to do as he pleases. You with me? He confesses the Lord is able to grant him victory, but he also is not going to presume to tell the Lord what to do. He has mighty power, but he's not going to tell God, you're my errand boy, you will do what I say. He doesn't have a direct word from God. He doesn't have a promise. So he says, perhaps. 
you know, sometimes we face uh, arrogance versus faith. Arrogance says there's no such thing as perhaps. Arrogance says there's no such thing as who knows. Arrogant faith says that there are that we'll, we'll go to places where God doesn't go. We'll say things that God's word doesn't say. Arrogant, arrogance dictates to God what he will do. When praying for a person who has cancer, someone one time said, God, you have to spare my husband. That is what you must do for me because I believe. That's arrogant. Another minister went to see a, a woman to, to pray for her child. And he said this, If it be thy will, spare this child. The woman looked at him and said, It must be God's will. I have no ifs in my faith. That's arrogance. Faith in areas that are not defined by God's word must be humble. It's active. We're convinced of God's love for us. We're convinced of God's mighty power. In fact, we, might have made, we can imagine what God might do with us. We expect the Lord to do great things for us, but we don't presume to know whether God will bless something or blight it. We don't presume what God's decree might be because we haven't looked at the decree. It's secret. It's not for us to know. So we say, perhaps, Lord, this is what I pray, but thy will be done. And so Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. He's not depending on his plan, but he's depending on a God who can work that plan, who can come behind that plan. Will he come behind that plan? What a great balance we have here in verse 6. He says, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. How can Jonathan and how can the armor bearer know if the Lord will work for them unless they go and put themselves out there at God's disposal? They'll never know. If they stay under a pomegranate tree, God doesn't need 598 guys under the pomegranate tree. What he needs are two men willing to make themselves available to God. Come, let us go start a church. Come, let us start a mission work in southwest Houston. But apart from daring activity, this would never have started. Apart from somebody going, maybe we should start a Bible study in our home. Uh, this would not be started. Apart from thinking about, apart from activity, daring activity, apart from thinking about God's love and His power and imagining what God might do, this wouldn't be here. Now, we still need to keep going forward, don't we? But it's still, we wouldn't be where we are about without imagining and putting our faith and trust in God. Perhaps... God will work for us here. And so what do we do in this place? Well, we come and we have Bible studies. And we have prayer times. And we spend time talking to each other. And we develop deep and real uh, relationships. We tell our friends about Jesus. We invite our friends to the Bible studies. We walk around and inviting people to church. We have a concert. We call it Rejoice and Sing. We have a young man who goes out or a young man who goes out and he finds good musicians who are his friends and we're going to have a concert. We invite people to it and we ask God to bless it. But we'll never know if we sit under a tree. Perhaps God will, perhaps God will not. But perhaps God will. Our pessimistic hearts long for 100% success. 
The fact is, Jonathan might die. And the fact is, this church might not make it. The fact is, that's true. But so what? We'll never know unless we give ourselves to God and see. If something doesn't work out, then learn your lessons and get up and go on. Well, fifth, faith is prudent. I want you to notice his prudence. Jonathan said earlier that that we said he had these. He's already leading a thousand men. So we already know even at this young age he has some wisdom. He's been placed over those thousand men for some reason. And this is what he says to his armor bearer. He says, come let us reveal ourselves to the Philistines. And if they say, wait until we come to you, we will know they're ready for battle. And if they say, come up to us, we'll know they're sitting around drinking their beer and playing poker. We'll know that they're sitting on their hands. And so this is Jonathan's wisdom. He's been given this ability to think and consider what are the best means available to him for a victory. So without losing control, without getting too big, into a big of, too big of a hurry, he waits. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go down Old Thorny. They cross the, the wadi, the, river, the, the stream, and they show themselves to the Philistines. And the Philistines begin to mock them and say, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. And then they said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. I think the NIV says, Come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. (laughs) And Jonathan's very excited because Jonathan says, This is our sign. Now, this is not a direct sign from God, it's just his wise evaluation of the situation. The Philistines aren't ready. The Philistines are thinking these are just two guys. What's with two guys? Maybe other other Jew other Israelites had joined the Philistines. Maybe these type guys will come and sit around the fire and play cards with us as well. What can they do? And so now Jonathan knows something. He knows that he can climb up old slippery without people throwing rocks at him. He knows that he can go up to the top and see if God's going to work for him. In every one of our daring activities, you and I must exercise wisdom. We are a mission work. We are working hard here. It would be very unwise men for you to give all your time to the mission work and not take care of your family. That would be unwise. If you want to get married, you go and you invite somebody out to go out with you. But you don't ask them to marry you on the first date, do you? (laughs) That's not wise. If you go and you want to get a job, you go to the job interview with self-control and you dress appropriately and you answer the questions the right way. That's wisdom. Wisdom says when I want to share with people the gospel, we are kind and we seek to befriend people and we don't uh, get abrasive and unkind at the very beginning in any form or fashion. Well, let's, let's end by looking at the Lord's remarkable victory. So Jonathan and the armor bearer, they scale, oh, slippery, their hands and their, with their hands and their feet, and they begin to fight against the Philistines. And the Lord so acted in their behalf that you've got Jonathan laying one down, and you've got the armor bearer uh, putting one down behind him. And so there's 20 guys in a matter of minutes who are dead, 20 less teachers of lessons to these men, if you will, from the Philistines. 
But then here's the thing, the part of the chapter we didn't read. This commotion stirs up uh, a big, big, there's a big commotion. The Lord continues to work with these 20 men dead. All of a sudden there's a panic among the Philistines. The earth shakes and the Philistines begin to fight each other. And then Saul's men get in the action. And then the Israelites who had gone over to the Philistines turn on the Philistines in their own camp. And then the guys who were out hiding in hidey holes and caves, they come out and they begin to fight. And there's this great rout that takes place of the Philistines. Verse 23 says, let me put my glasses on. Verse 23 says this, So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth. Oven. So here we have this person who puts his faith in God. It's active. He's not going to stay under a tree. He's going to go out and trust the love of God, the power of God. He goes out and he's humble and he's wise and he finds God giving him the victory. We have every reason to believe God is with us. We have every reason to believe that God will work for us. We have to go put ourselves out there. Tonight we have the privilege to take the Lord's Supper. And we are, if you will, going up old slippery. And we find ourselves sometimes, you know, on our hands and on our feet. And we are tired. And we all need to be refreshed uh, by this meal. We all need the bread and the wine to refresh us along the way. We grow tired. We have our families. We're not just here to, to build a church, but it's part of our lives this church is part of our lives. We have to go home. We have to tend to our other things. But we, along the way, need this bread and this wine. And, you know, we've studied about perhaps. But when we sit and we eat and drink tonight, there's no perhaps to it. When you eat and drink what Jesus gives you, it's not perhaps he will feed you. No, he will feed you. He says, this is my body and it's for you. He says, this is my blood and it's for you. And when you and I eat and drink with faith in our hearts, we experience the grace that Jesus wants to give us. And so tonight, as we examine our hearts, I ask you, are you Christ's disciple? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Have you been baptized and have you placed yourself uh, under the accountability of a session of elders who seek to keep watch? over your souls. If so, then come and let us ref take refreshment as Jesus strengthens each one of us in our inner man. So let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for teaching us to be um, men and women full of faith. And we pray, Father, that we might imagine what you might do with us so that we might not find ourselves sitting under a pomegranate tree, doing nothing. But Lord, with your help, we might reach out and we might say, Lord, perhaps in this you will work for us, even as we think about our church. Work for us, Lord. Get behind us, Lord, as we seek to build this church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Lord, we are doing this activity with faith in our hearts. And Father, we pray as we eat and drink tonight, we might commune with each other and commune with you. Help us to be strengthened. Help us for the next days ahead as we eat and drink and we know, uh, Lord, your communion. Bless this time in Jesus' name.
Amen.